Mark chapter 5, um, we come to a situation that's a little bit scary here today. Um, the issue of demon possession. Uh, the fact of the matter is these things are real. And uh, we see how the Lord deals with this particular situation and some, some uh, insights that come out of it. And we're in Mark 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, and to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had been dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. <clears throat> and always day and night, or night and day, uh, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you uh, by God that you do not torment me. And for he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding uh, near the mountains. And so all the demons begged him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter them. And that once Jesus gave them permission. And then the unclean spirits went out, entered the swine. For there was about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Uh, so those who fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what, uh, what it was that happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, who had had the legion, and he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told how it happened to him, who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him, with Jesus, to depart out of the region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and all uh, all that Jesus had done for him, they all marveled. And Lord, how we marvel as well. We are thankful for your grace, Lord, your working in our lives. And Father, as we look at this particular um, story from Scripture, Lord, um, we realize also, Lord, that you have intervened in our lives. And Lord, maybe our situation wasn't this bad, but Lord, you intervened to touch us, to open up our understanding to cause us to realize, Lord, we need to turn our lives over to you. And Heavenly Father, we ask you to give us insight. Lord, uh, we realize that we have a great enemy. And Lord, you tell us his name is Satan. And he's very much alive and active in the world today. And Lord, help us, we pray, to, uh, to just identify some of the things that take place in a per person's life. Lord, when uh, the devil is, is, is working. So, Father, I thank you for those that are here this morning. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that we have. We just want to live for you, want to glorify you. Lord, want to honor you. So, Lord, we commit this time to you, and we pray and ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, what an awakening it must have been for these guys. Uh, they just come through this storm. We talked about this storm last week, and um, they were fearful that they were going to perish. And uh, so here they get to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee, and what a welcoming committee. Some guy comes out, um, uh, this maniac from Gadara, demon-possessed guy. Uh, the Bible tells us he doesn't have any clothes on. That's pretty scary in and of itself. Um, uh, he's screaming things at them, and uh, it must have been, you know, just a very, you know, unsettling kind of event you know, to happen just after coming through something where they're half scared to death. 
But, you know, you love Jesus when you see these particular things happen. He's, he always, uh, you know, he always is able to respond uh, in just the, the perfect, appropriate way and handle the situation. I, I guess there was many things that, you know, when uh, the disciples, you know, traveling with Jesus came up against, he just looked at Jesus. Well, Jesus, what are you going to do? You know, kind of thing. Because he always had the answer. He always, always had the right response. He always knew what exactly, you know, uh, needed to be done in that situation. And I think also, too, that today we need to rely upon him in that sense, that he can give us and equip us that no matter what it is that we face, what it is that we have to handle, that God's grace is going to be there to help us to be able to respond or react in the right kind of way. Now, this event takes place uh, across the lake, uh, and it's the tribal allotment of Gad. Now, what's interesting is we were talking about uh, an incident uh, that took place in the book of Joshua many, many years before this. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, the priest by the name of Phinehas, um, the, the Gadarenes were going to, as they, as they basically uh, uh, were going to, you know, move into their allotment on the other side and take care of the, their possession there, uh, that they began to build an altar. And so uh, Phinehas, uh, it almost started a civil war, and, and Phineas, uh, the priest, and goes to them, and he reproves them, and, uh, you know, trying to straighten them out because they were on the verge of apostasy, but they didn't know it. And, and what is interesting is you look down the corridor of time, the Lord had Phineas speak to them specifically about this whole issue, you know, of departing from the Lord God and the proper worship that he had established, that it was prophetic. Because he saw, you know, down the corridor of time, he saw that eventually they would reject the Messiah, which we see here in this particular story. And what I love about this story, we see it played out, in a sense, at, in different ways. Uh, and that is Jesus always reaching out to the situation, to the person uh, who is a lost cause kind of person. He's, he's always, you know, he came to seek and save that which is lost. He's always looking to redeem that person that the world so often writes off. Uh, you know, we, we, we look at our culture, and there are many people that are considered throwaway people. Um, the world looks at them and says, you know, there's no hope for that person. You know, their lives are wasted. And oftentimes, these are the case studies uh, that Jesus, he goes after uh, because he wants to reveal his redeeming power, what he can do, how he can change a life. And I think, you know, as we look at our culture and society today, I think there's many people in this place in the same kind of situation where their life seems maybe just sort of hopeless. You know, what can I do to fix my particular situation? You know, I think a lot of times people go to doctors or psychiatrists, and we have, you know, a multitude of self-help programs. Um, we can take college courses, uh, you know, regarding remedial issues, you know, relative to emotional problems and all those sorts of things. But we, at the end of the day, we find out Jesus is the one that can fix us. Uh, sometimes we have to go through... Uh, a series of those kinds of things, finding out that I can't fix myself. Um, and here's our creator, uh, our God. He's waiting to step into our life and to minister. And we find that situation here. And I, again, what I love about Jesus is this is what he is. This is what he does. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a redeemer. He's a savior. Uh, he's always, in a sense, you know, his eyes uh, are always searching for that person who is lost uh, we, we see the parables of him, you know, the shepherd going after the one sheep. You know, he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. And we see that that's the great heart of our God. Now, as we come to these verses here, <clears throat> we get some insights in a sense of how the devil uh, works in a person's life. Um, and one of the things that we need to realize is that demon possession doesn't just happen overnight. Um, no doubt there's a process that takes place. Um, what's important to realize is that, you know, when the devil is able to take advantage of someone, it's because of sin, um, unrepentant sin. When, when there's sin in someone's life and you know, they just begin to just get deeper and deeper, you know, into some kind of sinful practice, uh, we find that that's when the devil begins to work and move, you know, in a person's life in a certain kind of way. Uh, remember, the, the scripture says that there are times where when people plunge themselves into sin, that God has to give them up um, and turn them over, turn them over to their desires. But Satan's waiting there as well to take advantage of the weakness and the sinfulness of human nature. Now, it tells us here um, 
in verse 2, that immediately there met him uh, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Uh, Matthew's account tells us that he was so fierce that no one could pass that way. And there was a road that went by that way. If, any t- if you've been to Israel at any time, I've, uh, of the seven trips that I've been to Israel, only one time did we go to Gadara. And it's interesting because there's tombs there, there's a cliff there, there's, a cl- only a, there's, there's this one cliff on that side of the lake, and it's right there. So obviously, obviously that's where the pigs had gone over. Uh, so this guy, he terrorized his community. Uh, I imagine it was a difficult thing if you had to sort of pass by that, you know, by that way where he was, you know, getting to your hometown or whatever the case may be. If you had children, here comes this maniac. Um, and it was very difficult for the people. So I think everybody knew about this guy. I think everybody understood that he was a crazy, demon-possessed individual. Just try to stay away from him the very best that they could. Another thing, too, uh, we find that he's living in the graves. He's living in tombs. And that whenever the enemy is working in someone, someone's life, uh, there's a, the, the, a darkness that begins to take over their thinking, that there seems to be a preoccupation with death. Don't we see that in our culture? Sometimes you see it in... In a certain music, um, you, we see it also, too, the preoccupation with it in the media, the entertainment media. That is, uh, I can remember um, that uh, the generation past, that the only time that things that were bizarre and macabre would be brought out of the closet would be around October, Halloween. Uh, but now we have, you know, stations, uh, cable stations that are dedicated to the occult, to all those sorts of crazy, demonic, weird, bizarre things uh, that are out there in our culture and out there in our society. And again, people don't realize it. I I can remember uh, as a young person, uh, as a teenager, uh, me and my buddies, we used to stay up on a Saturday night and watch double chiller theater. Um, You know, Dracula, Frankenstein, all those crazy movies from the 1930s and the 1940s. And we would just love getting scared to death. You know, scaring ourselves in some kind of way. We didn't, re- you don't realize, you don't realize there's a darkness there. Um, and I think sometimes that's how, you know, the enemy just sort of gradually can pull somebody in, uh, you know, to that particular realm. Uh, I, my family, uh, there was, uh, my mother had a tremendous, uh, she felt that she was being spiritual. Um, and in a sense she was, but she was delving into the wrong, to the wrong spirit. And she opened up our home to occultic kind of practices. Uh, created a lot of problems. It created a tremendous amount of problems. Uh, as I look back now, you know, as you're going through that, you understand some of the problems that you're bringing into your home uh, when you're messing around and delving into that kind of stuff. Uh, but as I look back now and, and, and many of the tragic and difficult things that, that took place, it was related to that opening up our home to occultic, demonic practices. And it's very popular today. Um, I can remember before I even came to Christ, uh, wanting to know what the future was, I went to a fortune teller. And um, and there's a lot of people out there that have never realized gospel truth, that we need to have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So they start delving. They start delving and looking into these things. And these things are real. You know, the, the Bible... Uh, you know, is not some kind of fairy tale. Uh, it speaks about, it, it gives us insight into this invisible realm that we would not have any way of knowing, um, you know, what, what's there. And uh, so we, we, we realize that when we look to the scripture. And the Bible warns us we, need, we, we shouldn't mess with it. We shouldn't mess with that uh, at all. It's very dangerous. It's very deceptive, and it's very, uh, there's a real power to it. Um, I realized that uh, in my home, as uh, weird things began to take place, you know, in our home and in our family. And as I look back now, at the time, it was just, couldn't, couldn't figure it out. But, but looking back now, from a biblical perspective, uh, realizing there was a lot of um, occultic, uh, demonic behavior in our home, in our family. And eventually it split our family apart. It just tore the family apart. And, uh, and I can remember, too, as a, as a young person getting out of high school, I just wanted to get away. I just wanted to get out you know, away from the family, out of the house. Um, and, uh, and I think the Lord uh, designed that and used that in, in a specific kind of way um, to eventually bring me to himself. You know, when you think about a preoccupation of death, look, look how um, popular, unfortunately, suicide has become. Uh, and particularly in um, the, uh, 
area of, of uh, you know, teenage group. Um, it's uh, from 99 to 2012, uh, it was in decline, but in 2013, it kicked up 12 points. And it, it became the number two thing, number two reason outside of car accidents for teenage deaths. And uh, I can remember, and it seems to be, a, it pops up at times in clusters. I can remember uh, when we were living out in Clifton Springs, uh, within that school district, there were three kids. Uh, not all at one time, but within, you know, within a, a month or something like that, a month and a half, uh, there were three kids that were friends, and they all committed suicide. And, and we see that from time to time, and it's tragic. Uh, these things, you know, the, 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 you know, Satan is very clever uh, to deceive people. And thinking that, you know, if I take my life, you know, my present, you know, situation is going to change. And the fact of the matter is, when somebody takes, you know, commits suicide, all they do is they kill their body. Their spirit and their consciousness live on. Uh, and to enter into eternity without Jesus Christ, uh, it, it's, a, it's a horrific uh, situation. And, um, you know, that's why I think, you know, it's important for us in more than one, more than one way to pray for our local schools. Uh, if you live near a, a, you know, a school, whether it's a grade school or a high school, you need to be praying, not just to protect them from safety, but to protect them from you know, the, the cultural trends you know, that run through our particular culture that can be so, you know, so dangerous um, and, uh, and, and you know, life-altering. So we need to be praying certainly about those kinds of things. Now, he says here that um, nobody could bind him, not even with chains. He was bound with shackles and chains. Uh, he pulled them apart, uh, broke the shackles in pieces. No, in other words, no one could even tame this guy. Uh, that's another um, thing about the demonic activity. There's a supernatural strength. Um, sometimes the policemen um, are familiar with this when they're up against you know, somebody who you know, takes these, you know, these Young cops, big guys, and just throws them around like rag dolls. Um, sometimes we see that kind of thing taking place, you know, through the, uh, through the, you know, through a video clip or whatever the case may be. Uh, the Bible speaks about it in, in Acts chapter 19. Uh, remember, there was um, a priest there. Paul spoke of it. Uh, his name was Sceva. He had seven sons, and they wanted to be exorcists. And uh, so they came up against a situation where they try to exorcise uh, the demon out of a person, and. Um, and they, what they said, you know, we, we, we implore you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> and and the, the, the demonized individual speaks, no doubt the spirit speaks through the man. He says, he says, Jesus I know, but Paul I know, but who are you? And he beats them up, all seven of them up, and they run from the house naked um, and wounded. And so uh, you, you realize that these guys can be very strong and very, very powerful. Uh, Luke's account tells us that he has no clothes. Um, running around, I mean, this guy is so far gone that nothing less than the intervention of God and Jesus Christ can help this guy. The point of this nudity thing is there has been such a... Um, powerful effect of pornography and nudity in our culture. And it's become accepted. It's become an accepted kind of thing. Um, and I'm just talking about you know, those, you know, pornographic films. You know, even, the, even regular films anymore. It's amazing the amount of nudity uh, and pornography that's just out there. And they say that even children now um, are exposed to that through their smartphones. As parents, I give their children smartphones. I think that's a very detrimental, crazy thing to do. Uh, you can give them a flip phone, but I think uh, giving a youngster a smartphone is a very dangerous thing. It's like a, playing Russian roulette. Um, and I know, too, that uh, even if they don't have a f you know, that kind of available, availability to that, their friends do. And so I, I think we need to really be praying uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff out there that can defile us in our culture and have an impact within our family. And again, a lot of people don't realize that, that there's, a, there's a demonic activity out there in our society, out there in our culture. Uh, and every day that we go out that door, it's important that we pray before we go out that door into that culture. 
And, and again, also, too, the culture, it comes right into our home and how important it is that we need to protect ourselves and protect our home. Uh, one of the things I've said over the years, if there's something in your life, and it's a biblical principle, if there's something in your life that's stumbling you, get rid of it. Get rid of it. And there's a lot of things out there. I remember raising our kids for years. We, we, would just, we didn't have a computer. We wouldn't have a computer. For that particular reason. I didn't want certain, I didn't want certain influences to come into our home. And it's very pervasive. It's very powerful. And the thing is about pornography, it's incredibly addictive. It's powerfully addictive. Nobody could tame this guy. And night and day, we're told that he was crying out. And, and this is another aspect uh, when the devil is at work within, you know, uh, the lives of people, that there's an emotional kind of torment. There's mental anguish. And, you know, the thing is prescription medication can only subdue it. It does not cure it. You know, I think uh, a lot of, uh, you know, when you go into the, the, the third world, you, you see uh, more of it. I can remember being in Hong Kong many years ago. The first time I ever saw anybody was that openly expressed demonic activity. I saw them coming a block away. The street went down, and the other sidewalk went down like this, and I could see that person. It was like the Holy Spirit told me right away, this individual, he was totally disheveled, uh, just, a, just a wreck of a person, an absolute wreck of a person. And I think a lot of times in our culture, we clean up the streets. I think, I think there are people that are in mental institutions that are demon-possessed. Now, I am not saying that everybody is. There, is. there is no doubt organic illness, okay? But I think in many respects, there's, there's, we clean up our households, we clean up our families because some of these people that are just they're totally out of control, that they put them in an institution. Many years ago, uh, another couple pastors and I were asked by a family to go into uh, the Elmwood Institution down there on Elmwood Avenue. I'll tell you what, it was a shocker. It was an eye-opener. I don't even think El Elmwood is even functional anymore. I don't think they use Elmwood anymore. But it was a mental institution, uh, and it went up like 10, 11, 12 floors, and uh, everything was under lock and key like a prison, and um, they let us out of the elevator, and we had to go through a locked door, and there's people laying over the floor, uh, all kinds of sounds and so forth. And uh, I would imagine how difficult it, was, it must have been just to be in there, you know, just, just to be in there. You could feel, you could feel just the, the presence uh, as you would go in that place. And, um, you know, the thing about Jesus is, you know, when he comes in to our life, um, he drives out those things that, can, that maybe once controlled us. Um, I don't know what you think about this, but um, there are different, there's different theologies um, relative to demon possession. And some Christians believe that can be demon possessed. Okay, they believe because maybe they have some addiction uh, or something in their life that they have, you know, that uh, uh, they're, they're possessed in that area. Well, the fact of the matter is, you know, God's not into time-sharing. Um, the Bible says to be joined with the Lord is one spirit. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Aren't you thankful for that? <laughs> uh, now, a person can be oppressed. A Christian can be oppressed because of what? Why would a Christian be oppressed? Because of sin, unrepentant, unconfessed sin. That's why it's important. That's why it's important that we need to get to the cross. If there's something in our life that we need to let go of or something that we need to confess and give it over to him, we need to do that. But a, but a believer cannot be demon-possessed. It's impossible. God's not going to share that space of your life, um, you know, with, uh, with an unclean spirit. Uh, then and the other thing that we see here, too, is this guy here is cutting himself. And that's a kind of a trendy thing that's happened over the last maybe a dozen years. And, and it's, it's self-destructive behavior. That's demonic. Uh, when someone wants to destroy themselves in that kind of way. Um, it's not just maybe cutting oneself. I think it's other destructive behaviors uh, that we see being practiced you know, out there in our culture, out there in our society. 
Now, of all the good people in Gadara, guess who Jesus comes to? Him. Jesus came, I think, just for him. That, that's the love of our God. That's the heart of our God. And, and again, I think that this, you know, to, to, to that community, this guy was like a throwaway. Man, we hope he dies down there in his hole somewhere. You know, in the grave, in the tomb, that's where he belongs, kind of thing. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. I, I can't help but wondering, I do think that this, this part here is the man in utter despair. Because there's something about the heart and the life that they respond to God. And I think even though he was, he was like the, the, you know, the worst case scenario, I think he had his moments where he was lucid. You know, where he realized, you know, well, what am I doing? But there was so many, there was so much, such demonic power in him, he probably didn't have too many moments like that. But here comes the Savior, and he runs and he worships him. And he cried out with a loud voice. Now, for sure, this response here, I believe, is the demon speaking, because he had pretty much control over this man's life. What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High, God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And by torment there, he means they basically mean they don't want to go back to the pit. They don't want to go back um, to that place. And uh, which is kind of, it's kind of interesting because what we have here, it's a little bit different, I think, than, than fallen angels. There seems to be a difference between demon spirits and fallen angels. Fallen angels have a body, okay? These are disembodied spirits. And again, I'm not any kind of expert about this, and I don't want to be an expert about it, okay? Um, but there seems to be a difference here, and they want to inhabit, they want to be in a host. Because in a host, they can express themselves in some kind of way. I think, I, I think once in a while I've come up against dogs that are demon-possessed. I don't know about you. My Uncle Andy lived in, in, in Philadelphia. I think he had one of these dogs. And he was proudly telling me that the post, the mailman came into his yard one day and he went running down the street without his pants. The dog just ripped his pants right off. And I, th I think animals, obviously, they can be. Because um, these disembodied spirits are looking for some kind of biology, something to inhabit, some kind of host. And, of course, the first choice would be people. And I love the authority of Jesus here as we look to verse 8. He says, come out of him. You unclean spirit. Just by his word. And you know, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can, can set a soul free. Only Jesus can emancipate someone. I mean, we, don't we have all our self-help books and psychological um, you know, types of uh, you know, practices and things that you know, we, we try to you know, help people get their life straightened out? But at the end of the day, it's only Jesus that can emancipate us. It's only him that can set us free. And I love just the word. It shows you how powerful God's word is. Be careful that you don't underestimate the word of God. I, I think a lot of times we, we underestimate what God can do through us. Because we, the Holy Spirit shows us, our, he shows us our frailties, right? He shows us our weaknesses. We understand all those things. And, and sometimes we just feel like, well, you know, God, God would never use me for that. And I think sometimes we can talk ourselves out of the fact that God wants to use us in some kind of way. You know, Paul says, what, we're more than conquerors, what, through him who loves us. He says he always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. You know, be careful that you don't underestimate what God can do in your life and through your life when we just simply yield ourselves to him. Just make ourselves, as somebody once said, it's not our ability, it's our availability. So often we look at, man, well, I don't have that ability. Well, I, I, don't have the, I don't have that gift. I don't, I don't think exorcism is a gift, and I don't want it. And anytime we see the Lord, you know, 
dealing with these things is when they, when, you know, when they were presented to him, even Paul. But his word, his truth, when we share it from a pure heart, it has power. It has power to set people free. And remember, too, I think oftentimes we're waiting for a certain reaction or response from people that they've received our word, the word of God or something that we said, some truth that we spoke. And we predicate it all upon that. Well, they didn't receive it. Well, I guess that didn't work. There's something powerful about the truth and the word of God when we speak it into someone's life. But sometimes it's, you know, like that story that we saw the parable of the seed. That, that seed may just lay, you know, on their heart and mind even for years. And all of a sudden it gets watered and it comes to life. His word is power. So what is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. I believe he's speaking to the man. He doesn't want to know what the name of the demon is. I believe he's speaking to the man. My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, by all estimations, whoever you talk to, a legion is somewhere over 6,000. 6,000 and change. That was a Roman legion. Now, I think, I truly believe that there wasn't over 6,000 demons in this man. I think there were many. I think it was, in a sense, the legion was a metaphor. But another thing that we see here, too, is the incredible capacity of the human spirit. Do you know that any human being has a great capacity for either good or for evil? That's why, again, don't underestimate what God can do in your life and through your life. I think we talk ourselves out of God using us all the time. And look at the capacity of this man. I don't know how, maybe there was, maybe there was 100, maybe there was 500 demons, I don't know. But there was a great work of evil in this man's life. And in a moment, it's all turned around. Don't you love the grace of God? That he can just so instantaneously change things, the trajectory of someone's life. And sometimes when that situation is all the worse, it's all the more glory to God. I think sometimes we refrain from sharing you know, some of the negative things of our, of our testimony, of our past. And just maybe some of those things, as people realize, you know, so I've, at different times I've, you know, told, you know, different aspects of my background, my life, my history before Christ. And, and sometimes I've heard people say, well, I can't imagine you like that. I say, you don't want to imagine me like that. I don't want to imagine me like that. But that's the grace of God, isn't it? To just transform, to change, to wonderfully and permanently alter. <laughs> My name is Legion, for we are many. And he also begged him earnestly that he would send them uh, out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the altars. Excuse me, near, near the mountains, rather. Um, I think this next part is really a nightmare for the animal rights activist. Remember, Christ as God, we're told in Colossians, created all things. Did you ever see some of the... I, I love, you know, the animal creation... And when you look at, uh, like, for instance, you ever see some of the birds from South America, some of the parrots? I mean, they're incredibly beautiful. Do you ever see some of the fish, you know, way down in the depths of the sea? And you go to different places like Madagascar, 
uh, and you look at some of the, you know some of the some of the plants and some of the animals, the incredible creative ability of God. But remember, He's created them for His own purpose. And one human being is more important than two thousand pigs, two thousand swine. You know, when people read a, a story like this, they, you know, that Jesus, he's an extremist. People think that. And, and what is interesting to me, that you can have a whole industry someplace in the country, and they find one endangered species on the property, they shut the whole industry down. Isn't it crazy? If... if if there's anything unbalanced or extreme, it's man. It's man outside of God. You know, it's amazing. I've known the Lord for like 44 years now. And I'm so blessed with what he's done. But, you know, there's times where I just realize when I look at someone else's life, I could just be like that without Jesus. I could just be, I could be me. <laughs> Sometimes we forget what he's done for us. The grace of God, the power of God. I mean, if you've known the Lord for any length of time, your, your, your life is wonderfully normal. That, that He's kept us, that He's watched over us. And I think we do need to look at sometimes the insanity of the world. To praise Him and to thank Him for what He's done in our life. But not that only, but to make a difference in that. And he sends each one of us out there into the chaos and the craziness of our society and culture to make a difference. You may say, well, I can't make much of a difference with my little candle or my little spotlight. Well, yeah, you can. It may be one little pinprick into darkness. But God can take that. And he can use that to change a life, to save a soul, to work in a difficult situation. So they beg him, send us into the swine that we may enter uh, into them. And Jesus gave them permission. Uh, and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. You know, they're almost begging him. They're almost praying that uh, he would send them, you know, into, the, into this herd of swine. You know, the Bible tells us that the devils believe and tremble, the demon spirits. They believe in God. And there's not one atheist among them. Yet all they ever do is promulgate atheism. But in their own little theology... They believe in the true and the living God, and they tremble at him. And they have to answer to him. Jesus gives them uh, permission. And I think there's a little bit of a backstory here. And the, and the question I ask is, was this a Jewish pork business? I think it was. Whether, whether the Jewish people ran it or the Gentiles ran it, Because a lot of times they wouldn't have it in Israel proper. This is kind of across the Jordan, across the way sort of thing. And so somebody's industry <laughs> was greatly affected by an entire herd of swine. And so the, those that were the, um, I don't know if you call them pig shepherds, swine shepherds, um, go back to their, to their owners and tell them what the story is. So then, so these who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city to see what had happened. I think that this miracle was the greatest thing that ever happened to that town. Why, God was in the camp. It was a visitation. And I think what's important too is to realize when God visits a life or visits a community, visits a family, how, how, did, how do you respond to that? Their response is very interesting. It's very unlike, if you remember, uh, when Jesus went to Samaria 
And this was off limits, you know, for the Jewish people because there were Samaritans. Uh, they worshiped at another altar. Um, and Jesus goes there, and we know the woman becomes converted. She goes into the town, and she tells everybody about Jesus, and they all come out. And they beg him to stay for two days. Not so here. The good people of Kedera. Had the wrong response. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, who had the legion, sitting clothed and in his right mind. What a beautiful picture, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Hey, what an opportunity to rejoice and thank God. Man, praise God, that guy. God got a hold of him finally. Hallelujah, kind of a thing. <laughs> that wasn't the thought at all. Something wrong with this picture when we see that here this guy is normalized. He's saved. He finally has clothes on. He's in his right mind. I imagine he looked different. He had to look different, didn't he? You ever see anybody that's kind of almost out of their mind? Their, their countenance is, is twisted and changed. But I imagine they, as they saw him and identified, yeah, that's him. That's him. Now they're afraid. <laughs> <laughs> now they're afraid. And you know, it reminds me that, you know what happens sometimes? That people get, can, can get conditioned to evil and to the wrong kinds of practices. Hey, you know what? We're in that process right now in our culture. That there's a conditioning going on it's a degrading of morality. And there's a whole lot of people conditioned to it. So much so that if you have a certain kind of biblical morality that you're rejected, you're mocked, you're laughed at, and you're considered a hateful person. And, and there's a lot of young people that just grow up in this cultural mindset. And they just get conditioned to this whole new normal. When you look at the implosion of morality and the crazy ideas of sexuality, that if you're a baker and you don't want to make a cake for a homosexual wedding, you're practically shut down. You're out of business. One of the gals in first service this week, or maybe it might have been last week, uh, sent me an article of a young gal in Norway who married her dog. I guess it's the dog's life, right? Remember when the definition of marriage got changed? Once you change it, once you move it out of a biblical model, one man, one woman, anything goes. I talked about that. I, I suggested that in a crazy kind of way. People want to marry their animals. But the next big thing that you're going to see is the acceptance of plural marriage. Mormon marriage, where... One man has many uh, spouses, or one woman maybe. Maybe one woman has many husbands. I mean, where do you, you can't, you, once you open it up and change the definition of it, I hope we never get conditioned to all the cultural changes. We need to get conditioned to what God wants, what pleases God, what honors him. Here's the turning point, verse 17. 
Then they began to plead with him with Christ, depart from the region. Sorry, Jesus. Sorry, Jesus, you're disrupting life here. You just messed up our commerce. You, you, just, you just devastated our local economy. And, you know, it's interesting when people shun Christ. That's why you never want to say, Lord, leave me alone. You, you don't want to say that. Because he does. He leaves. He didn't act all, of, you know, righteous or whatever the case may be. Well, why are you people doing this? You don't know who I am. No, he just humbly turns, gets in his boat, goes to leave. You know, the thing is, too, that we find in a personal kind of a way that the Lord challenges us to make changes in our lives. He won't force them on us. He never does. One author I read, read a, uh, said about this, uh, Jesus is a gentleman, he'll just go. <laughs> but the Lord will challenge you and I about making changes, but he won't force us. He gives us the option. But we agree, we allow him. Well, they said, basically, Lord, we don't want to change. <laughs> we like it the way it is. You just kind of get in your boat and go home and we'll get back to the status quo. How tragic for them. So he got into the boat, and he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. And on the other hand, here we got this redeemed heart, the worst guy in the whole community, now he's crying out, Lord, I just want to be near you. I mean, you can so empathize with this guy because of where he was and what he was like and probably years in that condition. Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to be near you. And the thing, in a sense, that he couldn't, that couldn't happen for him right then has happened for you and I because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That we can have this close, wonderful relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And see, one of the promises all the way through the Bible is that I will be with you. I will be with you. He says to the church, I'll be with you to the end of the age, to, to our last day on this earth. And then we'll be in his presence. What a great, great promise. But couldn't happen for this guy right then because Jesus did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. In other words, he is simply commissioning him to be a witness. And where does he send him? Go home. Isn't that the, 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 the place where our Christianity faces the asset test. That's where our concern needs to be first and foremost, where in our homes and with our friends. And of course, he does that. He doesn't tell them to go door to door, but go home to your friends, to your family, and just let them know, just tell them how much compassion and grace and mercy the Lord has had upon you. And he departed. And he began to uh, proclaim, rather, in Decapolis. These were ten cities east of the Galilee. Uh, I was in one of these cities, Jerash. Interesting. that These were all Roman cities, um, including one of those cities of Decapolis and included Damascus. But they were basically Gentile cities. So I want you to go proclaim. Tell them. No, it's very simply, and I think every one of us have this in common, no matter what specific area that the Lord has called you and me to focus on, this is what we're called to be, what? Witnesses. Just witness of what he has done in our lives. 
looking at, uh, in closing with uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this. These are his words. If you have a red-letter Bible, you'll see that. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. You just simply tell people what the Lord in his grace has done and presently what he's doing in your life. Amen. Lord, we need that power. We need your spirit, Lord. Impossible, Father, to accomplish, Lord, anything without your empowering. And we thank you, Lord, that you honor your word. Lord, it's not predicated upon our feelings, upon our weaknesses upon our own estimation of ourselves, or even sometimes how we estimate the situation. But Lord, you honor your word. We thank you that you are the God of, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, you're working today to emancipate, emancipate souls, to set people free. We thank you, Lord. You're the deliverer. You're the liberator. And how we pray, Father, that as we go from this place that you might fill us afresh. Lord, help us, we pray. You came to seek and save that which is lost. And Lord, I, I think as I uh, consider, Lord, our world today, there's so many people around us in need of you. So give us, I pray, holy boldness. Give us the love of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.